I love scotch. Scotch, scotch, scotch. Here it goes down, down into my belly. Hello and welcome to the Omcast Grand Rewatch. My name is Tom. As one half of the Omcast, I'm joined by Dom. Say hello, mate. Get out! Okie doke. So, we now live in a world full of sequels, prequels, remakes and reboots. And we understand that sometimes life gets in the way and you're not always going to be able to catch up before a new one comes out. With that in mind, we're here to provide a weekly retrospective of some of the biggest franchises in cinema history, giving you a full spoiler rundown of each film in a series including plot summaries, analysis, and behind-the-scenes trivia. This week, we start a very short grand rewatch by watching the 2017 classic Get Out, starring Daniel Kaluuya, Alison Williams, Bradley Whitford, Caleb Landry-Jones, Stephen Root, Catherine Keener, Lil Ray Howery, and Lakeith Stanfield. Yeah. Yes. I fucking love this film. This was great, wasn't it? I remember we went to go and see it at the cinema together, didn't we? Yes, we did. And it was one of those... I don't know. It was one of those most sleep hits. Well, I don't know because I think it was it was kind of it would have been a sleeper hit here. I think in the states, it generated a lot more buzz, and that was part of the reason why you and I went to go and see it because mm-hmm. it had already started making waves. It was like a big thing that everyone was talking about. It was making a shitload of money, um, and yeah, it was really tapping in. And we were like, when it comes out in the UK, we've got to go and see it. Yeah, but because it was like Jordan Peele's debut feature film yeah um daniel kalua in it it was this weird sort of twilight zone-esque sort of thing that nobody really knew about when they were going into it yeah people were only talking about it in like hushed tones almost people yeah. being like you know about this film it's fucked but it's so good yeah yeah um and now like the reason so the reason we're doing this grand rewatch is because his next movie called us is yeah. out in cinemas next week and it looks amazing. He's been getting, again, really positive buzz. Mm-hmm. Um, he's also doing the upcoming Twilight Zone reboot. Yes. Um, but a lot of that sort of horror side of things came out of this movie when it comes to Jordan Peele. Yeah. Because before that, he was part of Key and Peele. Yeah. <laughs> and he was mainly known as a comedy guy. He was mm-hmm. They used to do comedy sketches and all that sort of stuff. And then he made, went and made this. And now he's the spooky dude. Mm, who does spooky stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things, before we get into the rundown, yeah. um, one of the things that we should sort of say about is that, yeah, he is doing the Twilight Zone, but both us and Get Out were inspired by the Twilight Zone. Yes. Yeah, yeah, no. He, I can't yeah, remember like, the specific episode names, but, yeah, both of them were sort of loosely inspired by doubles and by hypnotism and yeah. stuff like that. So he's had, like... So he's got like chops as well f- to do this stuff based on sort of what we've seen before as like doing the comedy side of things. But nobody saw this sort of psychological, physiological and sort of racial horror yeah. that we see in Get Out. I think that's the thing. That's the thing it's known for is the racial element of it and the, the examination of like race politics, if you like, or social politics when it comes to race in America. And that's what got people talking about it. But yeah. Even without that, it's a great like horror movie. Yeah. Um, anyway, before right before we get on with that, let me do the rundown. The rundown is actually, I'm afraid, fairly long. Okay. <laughs> because so I will time it. <laughs> okay. Um And I'll switch my mic off because otherwise you'll just hear me breathing in the background, which will be <laughs> uncomfortable for everyone. Um, but it'd be strangely appropriate for this film. Please don't do that. 
Ah, God. <laughs> um, right, yeah, so I apologise if this goes on for a while, but the film itself is a fairly, although it's quite a straightforward film, and it's quite a short film, actually. It's only an hour and 45. Yeah. Um, because of the fact that it's all very character-based and there's a lot of dialogue, it means that by doing a rundown, I kind of have to get into all the minutiae of everything that goes on. Um, so bear with me. The film begins as we find a young African-American man lost in the suburbs while asking for directions on the phone. After he finishes his call, he's stalked by a white sports car and is subsequently attacked by his masked driver. After a creepy title sequence, we're introduced to Chris, played by Daniel Kaluuya, and Rose, played by Alison Williams, as they prepare for a trip to Rose's parents for the weekend. As he's packing, Chris asks if Rose has told her parents that he is black, and she assures him that he has nothing to worry about. As they drive down a tree-lined country road, Chris calls his friend Rod, who works for the TSA, to check in and give him instructions for looking after his dog for the weekend. Rod warns Chris that he should not be going out to the middle of nowhere to meet Rose's parents, but Chris doesn't listen. Out of nowhere, a deer jumps in front of the car and is hit. Startled and shaken, Chris goes to the animal as it lays dying by the side of the road, while Rose calls the police. The police turn up and ask to see Chris's ID. Rose gets super defensive and challenges the police officer, but Chris is used to this kind of thing and happily hands over his ID. The couple arrive at Rose's parents' house, and we are introduced to the Armitages, Dad Dean and Mum, Missy. There is immediately a bit of a weird vibe as Dean continues to call Chris, my man, and seems to be affecting the way he talks. Cut to a little later and Dean is giving Chris a full tour of the house. He points out a photo of his dad as a track athlete, and tells the story of how he was beaten in the Olympic qualifying round by Jesse Owens. The tour takes them outside as they pass Georgina, the housemaid, and Walter, the gardener, both of whom are black. Dean admits to Chris that he hates the way it looks to be a white family with black servants, but he reminds him that if he could, he would have voted for Obama for a third term, which makes it all okay. The family come back together for iced tea, and we delve a little deeper into Chris's backstory. While he never knew his dad, it turns out his mum died when he was very young as a result of a hit and run. It's also brought up that Chris is a smoker and Missy offers to cure him using hypnosis. Just as things are getting weird, Rose's brother Jeremy turns up. Turns out this is the weekend of the Armitage annual lawn party, which is due to happen the following day. Later that night, everyone is having dinner and Jeremy is weird as fuck and starts talking about Chris's genetic makeup and how good he would be at MMA before stumbling off with a bottle of wine. As they're getting ready for bed, Rose rants about how weird her family is being and apologises to Chris. Unable to sleep, Chris goes outside for a cigarette and is rushed by Walter doing his exercises, running full pelt straight at him across the lawn before turning away at the last minute. Startled, Chris then sees Georgina staring out the window and decides he doesn't really need a smoke. As he heads back in, Chris is confronted by Missy, who asks him to sit with her. They begin discussing the methods of a hypnosis, and Missy slowly stirs her tea. Missy steers the conversation towards the day Chris's mother died, and as Chris gets increasingly emotional, he finds he's unable to move. Missy tells Chris to sink into the floor, and we see the sunken place, a reality in which Chris is plunged into darkness with only a distant window on the world around him. A startled Chris wakes up the next morning with a jolt, and is left to wonder if it was all a dream. While taking photos outside, Chris talks with Walter, the groundskeeper, who confirms 
that he did in fact spend a long time in Missy's office the night before. As Chris starts to grow increasingly paranoid, the guests start to arrive at the lawn party. Rose introduces her boyfriend to a number of white couples who all seem to treat Chris as a piece of meat, asking him all kinds of weird, inappropriate questions. Chris notices another black man at the party and immediately goes over to introduce himself. The young man introduces himself as Logan and comes across as very strange. The weirdness is ramped up even further when his much older white wife comes over, seemingly to show him off to her friends. Finally, Chris manages to have a normal conversation with a blind art dealer who compliments Chris on his photography work. Heading back to his room, Chris notices that his phone has been unplugged. He plugs it back in and calls Rod, explaining the weirdness of his situation. Rod immediately comes up with a theory that Logan and the other black people around have been brainwashed and they are being used as sex slaves. With that, Chris hangs up and is now confronted by Georgina, who apologises for accidentally unplugging his phone and assures him that the Armitages treat them like family. All of this is delivered in a crazy, creepy and off-putting way. Chris goes back downstairs and is immediately asked if he feels that being African-American is an advantage or a disadvantage in the modern world by one of the guests. He quickly spots Logan and asks if he could have a go at answering the question. As Logan answers, Chris attempts to take a sneaky photo of him, but the flash catches Logan's eye. Logan's entire character seems to change and he lunges for Chris, screaming at him to get out while bleeding from the nose before he's dragged away by some other party guests. Sometime later, Dean is explaining to the crowd how Logan suffered a seizure. Missy brings Logan back and he seems back to himself. He apologises to Chris and makes his exit. Rose grabs Chris and storms out of the house declaring they're going for a walk. Down by the lake, Chris explains his panic and opens up about the night his mother died saying that he needs to get out of here. Rose agrees that she will make an excuse so they can go home. Meanwhile, a silent auction is taking place for Chris, who is represented by a large portrait. The blind art dealer from earlier seems to win the bid. Back in his room, Chris is preparing to leave and sends Rod the picture he took of Logan. Rod immediately calls him and explains that Logan is in fact a missing Brooklyn magician called Andre Hayworth, who they both knew years ago. Freaked out, Chris tells Rose they have to leave immediately. Left on his own in the room, Chris finds a shoebox full of pictures of Rose with various different black men. She previously told him he was the first black guy she'd ever dated. As he attempts to leave, Chris is confronted by the family and eventually yells at Rose to give him the keys before she finally reveals that she is in fact in on the whole thing. After a last-ditch effort to escape, Missy uses her teacup and spoon hypnosis trick to send Chris back to the sunken place, as Dean and Jeremy drag him off. Cut back to Rod, who has started to investigate the disappearance of Andre, because he's T.S. motherfucking A. Chris wakes up in a wood-panelled games room, and is treated to a creepy exposition dump on the TV from Roman Armitage, Rose's grandfather, which doesn't really explain much other than there is a procedure called coagula, which he and his family have perfected. Back to Rod, he takes his concerns to the police and is promptly laughed out of the station. Later, he calls Chris's phone and has a tense conversation with Rose before she tricks him into hanging up. Back in the games room, the TV starts up again and Chris has a conversation with Mr Hudson, the art dealer, who finally explains the plan. The idea is to do a partial brain transplant, which will allow Hudson to take control of Chris's body, while Chris remains as a passenger in the sunken place. Horrified, Chris starts to pick at the lining in the chair, 
that he's strapped to. TV comes on again with a large image of a cup, and Chris is seemingly put under her again. When Jeremy comes in to collect him, however, Chris gets up and knocks him out with the crow cable, revealing that he has escaped the hypnosis by blocking his ears with the cotton from the chair. Chris heads upstairs and fights his way through the family, killing Dean with the antlers of a trophy buckhead, Missy with the world's longest letter opener, and Jeremy with a good old-fashioned stomping. Grabbing the keys to the car, Chris begins to make his escape, calling 911 at the same time. As he's driving, he hits Georgina with the car, and feeling guilt-ridden, he stops and puts her in the passenger seat. Rose, meanwhile, has grabbed a rifle and begins shooting at Chris. Georgina wakes up and attacks Chris, revealing that she's in fact Rose's grandmother. The car hits a tree and Georgina is killed on impact. Rose gives chase and is joined by Walter, who turns out is actually her grandfather. Walter tackles Chris and is about to squeeze the life out of him when Chris manages to take a photo of his phone using the flash. Walter backs off and asks for the gun from Rose so that he can kill Chris himself. Gun in hand, Walter shoots Rose without hesitation before turning the gun on himself. As Rose reaches for the gun, Chris kicks it away from her. She begins to plead with Chris, telling him that she loves him, but Chris is having none of it, and begins choking her out before he's interrupted by flashing blue and red lights. Rose calls for help as Chris raises his hands in the air. As the car door opens, we see the word airport written on the side. Turns out, Rod has come to save the day. A weary Chris gets in the passenger seat, and after a long pause, Rod reminds him that I did tell you not to go in that house. And that's Get Out. Sorry, that was a long one. <laughs> it's all right. It was only 26 minutes. Fuck off. No, it's fine. No, it's, it's, I can't. it's like 10 minutes. Right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, no, um, yeah, I mean, I kind of had to go through scene by scene because that's the nature of the movie. And everything. Well, yeah, it's fine. I mean, but it's... again, I think that speaks to how well-written the movie is mm-hmm. because there is not, it is so tight yeah, like it's an hour and forty-five, and every single second of it is important. And yeah. every the only thing, and it's weird, like the only thing that I didn't talk about is actually a scene that has become like an infamous internet thing, which is the Fruit Loop scene. Yeah, which is a scene where nothing really happens, but it's become this iconic scene where there's a bit just before everything kicks off, right towards the end, where um, Rose is like picking her next victim but essentially um and she sat there doing it whilst eating fruit loops the cereal and drinking milk yeah so that's well yeah. first of all that's an interesting scene because it finally well yeah we've spoiled everything so it finally exposes um rose yeah for um like if you look at what she's wearing is whereas before you would have seen she's become this you know almost not not so much bait but she's become this huntress and in this scene she's wearing hunting gear the only thing that she doesn't have is like a blazer on so yeah. she's got like riding jodhpurs on she's got the white shirt and then all of the pictures are up on the wall yeah like trophies yeah and then again it reinforces the segregation side of it because she's eating fruit lobes which are multicolored separately to drinking the milk yeah 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 there's so a it's shit a really really sort of like but that's the like, one scene that I didn't talk about in the rundown. But yeah. it, even that, because, because and the main reason I didn't talk about it because there's no dialogue in it, but yeah. it's so heavy with symbolism, like you say, yeah. that it just, yeah. And apparently, like, reading about it, that was something that was, wasn't in the script originally. It just sort of happened naturally on set. Um, 
But anyway, I mean, yeah, fuck, get out, man. Yeah, it's fucking brilliant. Like, the first time... Like, so we were sort of inspired to watch this because there was a bit of buzz around it and then we saw the trailer and we were like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. And then we got the first possible screening that we could get to. Yeah. And then... then... I just remember it being quite a quiet screening. There wasn't a lot of people in that cinema. No. Um, And it has become a bit of a sleeper hit. It's definitely benefited from... I believe now it's on Netflix, so mm-hmm. it's quite easily accessible. So it's definitely benefited from the new sort of era that we're in and how readily avail- uh, available movies are. Um, but it's definitely like, it's just, there's so much to unpack and there's so much to, going on. And it's like, it's funny, it's dark, it's... Um, satirical. Definitely, yeah, it's very relevant. Satirical. Yeah, big time. Um, I just, I love all the, the little subtle reference sort of, as thing, like it layers in all those little things and then it takes us to the next extreme. So there's like the little, oh, no, 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 no. My, dad, my parents aren't racist. My dad would have voted for Obama a third time. It's like, what's that got to do with anything? Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't mean anything. Like, I'm not racist, but... Or like the, the, the guy, when they're going around and meeting all the families, meeting all the um, white guys at the party, and it's like, well, I, I do, I do know Tiger. Yeah, <laughs> like immediately the golfing guy immediately mentions Tiger Woods. The first thing he thinks of when he sort yeah. of sees a black guy is like, and that's the thing. So around this time, obviously Jordan Peele was doing the interview circuit, and mm. people were sort of saying, you know, people were like, "Oh, how do I be less racist in these situations?" Like, you know, which is a good it's way like, of understanding things thing, because like, having an open dialogue about if because one of the issues that people have nowadays is if you say that's racist. People will get very up in arms about it. Yeah, that's the thing. I think this must be one of the only films. Like, we, we talk about this a lot. We even talked about it you know, a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about all the Oscar movies. Mm-hmm. There's an Oscar movie every year, or a handful of Oscar movies, where the whole story of it is usually set a period piece, and the whole idea is talking about how bad segregation and, and racism was. Yeah. But there never, ever seems to be any depiction of the casual, everyday racism. That is exactly what happens in Get Out. Yeah. It's the, I would have voted for Obama. It's well, the, yeah. calling in my man. It's all those little, subtle, they don't even know they're doing it. And they mm-hmm. and they don't, no, 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 I'm not racist. Because to them, like, the ra- racism is just, there is, it is just hate not even letting the black guy in your house would be being racist. Yeah. But they don't, it's the, the, like I say, the subtle societal racism. Yeah, it's the everyday liberal racism. Yeah, that never Ever gets talked about on in movies and or TV yeah. or anything, and that's and this started that conversation. Well, it didn't start well, the conversation, but it definitely put it a lot closer in the public consciousness. Yeah, and I think that's part of the reason that the film was so successful as well was due to the fact that it addressed, like I say, liberal racism. Yeah, where it put people in a perspective where through film somebody was feeling very uncomfortable because people were saying silly things. And you were seeing it from the perspective of an African-American man. And people would say, oh, that scene made me feel really uncomfortable. Oh, that was a bit much, wasn't it? And you're like, yeah, most people have done it. I've done it. Yeah. Everyone's done it. Yeah. Because you do it without realising and then it takes self-reflection to look at it and go, oh, shit. Yeah. Exactly. And again, one of the things that Jordan Peele has said is, is both going back to my previous point, is when he was saying about People are like, oh, well, this film's very much about racism and about everyday racism and about ignored racism and how people are 
in this case, literally hypnotized. And they're saying about people like um, like black people in modern America are hypnotized to let these things go. Yeah. In air quotes. But somebody was saying, how do I be less racist? And Jordan Peele's answer was, if the first thing that you're going to bring up in a conversation with me is something about me being black, you're being racist. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And if anything, if it comes up in that first conversation and we're not talking about race or something like that, if it comes up in just how's your day going, brother? Damn it. Yeah, it's that. You know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's yeah, exactly. It's the my man. It's the... Yeah. Yeah. It's the, if, it's you, the, if you it's in any way affect the way you're talking. Yeah. I guess. Which, uh, if you make any affectation towards the way that it, you're, you would be talking to someone, you are exemplifying sort of soft racism yeah but it's um but then yeah so it's all these different themes are wrapped up really like you say really really tightly and really really neatly as well yeah that if you the more you go back and look at it the more you go back and unpick it the better it becomes yeah i think the i think probably one of the greatest achievements of it is the 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 way it because basically it's all leading up to that that moment on towards the end where the police lights turn up. Yeah. And so basically throughout the course of the movie, there's been very, it's very insular. There's not a lot of interaction with the outside world. It's just this family with the one exception being the cop on their way. Mm-hmm. As they're on their way there, they hit the deer and then they get pulled over or that she calls the cops because she doesn't know what else to do. Guy turns up and he asks to see Chris's ID. And there's this very tense thing. She goes, wait, 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 he wasn't even driving. What do you need to see his ID for? Which turns out is a big like, play up thing because Rose is an absolute piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, again, and that is exactly like you were saying, like the whole thing about black people being hypnotized, just getting used to it. So, cause mm-hmm. Chris doesn't bat an eyelid. He's like, yeah, I know I wasn't driving and it's complete, there's absolutely no reason why this guy should need to see my ID, but he doesn't hesitate. He goes, yeah, no problem officer. Here you go. Yeah. Cause he's used to it. But what, even just by that one scene and then everything that happens subsequently, you will put on edge about, the black guy and you're worried about him and like, and all the assumptions and things that people project onto him. So that when it comes to the end, when you see those flashing lights in any other horror movie, if it was like, a, you know, Freddy versus Jason or, or yeah. whatever, if you see that, you go, ah, oh, that means the hero's safe in this movie. Yeah. It scares the shit out of you. Absolutely. doesn't mean that. No. And to a point, even when there, there was an alternate ending where this isn't how it's played out. So this ending in this that you spoke about is the second ending. Yeah. Originally, so the, this wasn't the ending. Yeah. So for the purpose of readers at home, the original ending was in place. This was this, this was going to be the police force turning up yeah. and they were going to arrest Chris and put him away for yeah. killing this entire family. Yeah, because the, the, the like the, they turn up and from the police's point of view, we're all sat there thinking it as it's happening, is that here's a black guy over the top of a white girl strangling her. Mm-hmm. And like, we know all the contest has come before that, but you immediately go, shit, this is what's going to happen because you've like, this ingrained racism that's throughout the whole movie. You know yeah. that that's going to be projected. And so you just have that sinking feeling. And like I say, the, that was the original ending. The original ending was, yeah, the cops make exactly that assumption. They assume that Chris is the aggressor in that situation and he's not the victim and he goes to jail. Yeah, and the final scene is him talking to Rod through 
a phone, I believe, isn't it? Through the lights so, on, yeah. on visitation day with a big pane of glass between them. And he's just this sort of broken man with a like, glazed look in his eyes. But they thought that was too dark. Yeah. <laughs> Which, yeah, fair enough. I mean, the thing is, a lot of it is really, really, really dark anyway. But I think finishing the whole film on that really dark note, I don't know. I I, I, I really like quite dark films, but I, and I think that would have been good. But at the same time, I did like the sort of upending of the yeah, expectations. It's, it's that, like I said, I feel like if it's if it gets you to have that sense of dread in you when you first see those lights, then, then it's it's achieved what it needs to achieve. Exactly. And it doesn't need to then like gut punch you by yeah. having that having that I think I feel like they've made their point and then they go, okay, airport. T S motherfucking A. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking love Rod. He, the, Rod is like he's the comic relief throughout this movie, but he's great and he's right. He was right the whole time. Exactly. <laughs> they were brainwashing them. Yeah. Basically, ish. In a yeah. way, in a roundabout way. <laughs> Um, that's the thing as well like, look, when it makes its turn into what it actually is and they're talking about this brain transplant thing that is a hard turn yeah that is like holy shit okay really okay alright like it gets like body horror mm-hmm. to an extent that I wasn't expecting because up to that point it had all been quite psychologically based it was all about the yeah well the hypnosis and the psychology of it all which obviously is part of the same procedure that's how when he talks about it later, he says like the reason that we hypnotized you and put you into the sunken place and all the rest of it was that was essentially a pre-op, yeah, to allow you to then be transplanted and and have this whole weird sort of symbiotic parasitic relationship, yeah, that you're gonna end up having. Um, but yeah, it doesn't. It's really fucking weird. <laughs> it's yeah, it is weird. But then it's you know you look at other films of the same sort of ilk, so mm. like the Stepford Wives is the example that stands out most to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then you get sort of films like Invasion of the Body Snatchers and sort of other sort of fairly similar sort of hard turn yeah. into these things. But like you say, this is one of those things where it's just not expected. But no. again, it's the exploitation of, especially, well, especially nowadays, it's still just as bad as it ever is when people perceive sort of black athletes as being better yeah. than white athletes. And that may be the case in some senses and it's not in others. Yeah. But at the same time, the whole sort of set the whole sort of precedent of the film is framed around that. Yeah, I think that's that's the line from the from the video, isn't it? Is that you've got the, the physical benefits that you benefited from your entire Yeah. Your entire life because of your genetic makeup. Because the whole genesis of the whole thing, I guess, is that the grandfather, Roman Armitage, is the guy who was beaten in track by Jesse Owens. Yeah. And then they go on to that. And then when Dean's explained that, he then goes on to say, oh, Jesse Owens then went to the Berlin Olympics and proved in front of Hitler that all Aryan were inferior physically to him. Yeah. That man. And it's like that one thing got stuck in his gut, in Roman's head. And he's based this entire thing around that. that right. They are physically superior. It's not even. It's almost not even a racist thing. It's like it's a. He just thinks of it as a, as a as a scientific fact that they are physically superior. Therefore, yeah. we, but we are intellectually superior, which is, that is full on as racist. Well, yeah, I mean, both are racist notions, obviously, but but at the same time, it is one of those things where you go. 
it, it is it is skewing the way that you look at racism. Yeah. Because you go, well, like you say, you go, well, it's not, you know, that bit's not racist. Well, and it is. Just because... It's positive. Just because it's a positive thing. Exactly. It? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, there's positive discrimination. Yeah. In the same way. That, yeah, that's true. And yeah. it's and it's one of those things, but it's 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 never... I don't know. I I have a thing that if 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 I say if I say the wrong thing and I've uh, I've upset or offended someone, then I'd like to have a conversation about it because if I've said it generally through misunderstanding or possibly ignorance, yeah, then it's not it's never willful ignorance. If I've said something to upset someone, then I'm quite happy to have a reasonable discussion and talk that situation through. Yeah, and then but and then in this, it's a case of people will just say something. And then Chris will ignore it because it's the way that it's endemic. He's been hypnotized again, like we say, by society that he has to accept certain things as he goes through life. And he just accepts that. Yeah. Um, And it's interesting to see how it ramps up. Like you see, like, I think the party scene is the perfect example of it. It's just that he, he starts off all smiles and sort of like the first conversation he has is about like the guy talking about tiger. Yeah. And he sort of goes, okay, fine. Yeah. Whatever. Next conversation, there's a couple, and the woman starts asking him about, "Is it better?" and starts like rubbing up his arms and stuff. Yeah. And that's and he sort of just rolls with it. And then the next one, I think, is the one where the guy is like a fashion designer or whatever, and he says, "White skin used to be, but now black is in fashion." Yeah. And it cuts to Chris and Rose, and they're not smiling anymore. Yeah, they've had enough now. And it's like there are only there are certain there's only so far that can take you that hypnotism. And so yeah. it, that's like seeing that is like, you know, that he's still there. It's like, he's not like he's switched off and he's gone. Um, because that's the other thing we, like we've kind of buried the lead a little bit. The other sort of twist in this is that Logan, the other black guy who was at the party is the same guy who we saw at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. So we, there's this very brief scene at the beginning where you see this guy w- walking around the suburbs and he's lost and then he gets stalked by this car, and he's playing Run Rabbit, Run Rabbit. Yeah. But it's fucking terrifying. Um, Can we talk about the car? Yeah, go on. What's the car? It's a Porsche 999. No, it's a Porsche 944. Yeah, okay. And now, now, jury's, out, now jury's out on which specific model it is. <laughs> I did defer to an expert. He probably doesn't listen, but just in case you are, James. Um, thanks for giving me half the answer. But yeah, so... so you were saying about um yeah, yeah sorry you were you were saying about andre being picked up yeah so andre gets picked up and then obviously the next time we see him later on he's logan and he's a completely different dude yeah he's like because the idea obviously is that it's an old white man in a young black man's body yeah and he very much sells that performance and then he has this moment where chris clicks the photo and you see it like his face just completely changes yeah and he suddenly comes back to himself he comes back to being andre for a second and that's where the movie gets his name, is you start shouting, get out, at Chris. Yeah. Um, but also, that... at that point, when, when you said, were you saying about, um, so it's Lakeith Stanfield is the actor. But yeah, so so saying about the, the, the performance there, when you see it before, so when you first see Andre walking through the, the suburbs, saying, oh, it's like a hedge maze around here, which I presume is an interesting reference to The Shining. So you see Andre acting one way at the start of the film, and then you see Logan later on in the film acting in a totally different way. From the way that he holds himself, the way that he talks, the way that he sort of... When he makes eye contact with Chris, he sort of... of, 
in hindsight, you see him remember that he's a black guy now. Yeah. And not... But he has that, it's like that awful, it's the same, it's the same look that Walter has later on. Yeah. It's that awful, like, sadness, I guess. Like they, like oh, yeah, you're saying about the turn, yeah. And you get a little bit from all of them, so it's, there are these little glimpses of when they come back to themselves a little bit. In all the, the, the th- there are three characters in this movie who have had this procedure done to them. Mm-hmm. And in all three cases, you there are moments when you see them come back to themselves and regain a little bit of control over that body. Yeah. Um, with Andre, it's obviously it's when the, the photo happens and there's it's quite a big outburst because I think the idea is that he's just had it done. Yeah. So when they're going around the, at one point, the wife takes him over to another group of friends and he literally does a twirl. Yeah. Because it's like, look, look at my new body. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but then the other time you see it, so you see it with uh, Georgina. There's a very intense scene where she apologizes to Chris for unplugging his phone. Yeah, and he makes a comment about how he gets nervous when there's that many this this many white people around. Yeah, and you see it again. It's amazing from the actress. You see this internal struggle going on in her face as the real woman, whoever her name was, we never even know, struggles to take back control and sort of tell Chris to get out but then you just get this weird this crazy no 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 and she starts like silently crying yeah and it's like fuck it's a fucking amazing scene and then Walter does it later on as well when he he has that flash and then he's smart enough to be able to trick Rose um but there's just there are so many instances of that I think that again the performances throughout this movie are unreal oh yeah um and some of the yeah, some of them are like, like the the sort of supporting actors like that who get little to do but absolutely fucking kill it. And then obviously the lead, so um, Daniel Kaluuya. Kaluuya. That I'm never. I'm, I'm apolog- I really apologise because I think the guy's fucking amazing, but I'm just really bad at pronouncing that particular word for some reason. Um, he is fucking unreal in this movie. And watching it again last night, I found myself going through the IMDb to see what he's got coming up because he's got to get something big. Yeah. He's got to be like the lead in something because apart, so he was in this and the two other big things that you might have seen him in, he was in Sicario, the first one. Black Panther. He was in Black Panther. Um, But, and he was in an episode of um, Black Mirror, like Mm -hmm. a very sort of. Very early one. An early one, but a fucking great one. Again, a lot of it due to him. But he's sort of part of this sort of modern London movement of people like John Boyega, John Boyega, yeah, yeah. Letitia Wright. Yeah, yeah. Um, but and they all sort of come from the same sort of. I'm not sure if they literally went to the same school, but they all come from this sort of new school of London acting. Yeah, true. Um, um, but yeah, like like you say, the performances throughout are fucking great. Um, and Alison Williams again. She's another one who, similar to um, Andre and Logan, she kind of has two characters that she's playing. Yeah. She switches. And again, she has one where she does it just with her facial expression in one particular scene. Yeah. It's the Rose, get me them keys scene. Oh, and she's like, she does this whole thing where she's trying to find the keys and she finds the keys and she's got this like terrified, like scared look on her face. Like she's meant to be, we're meant to, she's meant to she be. She doesn't know what's happening. She doesn't know what's happening. She's the victim with Chris and like, she thinks her family are a bunch of assholes. And then she finds the keys and her face just changes. You know, I can't give you the keys, right, babe? And he just fuck, and he just drops everything, and we all just go, damn it! But because like she's likable, like she's like 
she's like yeah she's likable well like, yeah because up until that point she's the she's the white savior yeah. at that point which yeah, is yeah. a trope that exists in so many other things that all white people in a film are bad except one yeah and then it's and then you're like oh well she's the white savior in this film which again issues the perspective that you're going to be watching whilst going into this film the presumption is there throughout you're comfortable with that you expect that and you just run with the cliche well, that's the thing she she's the white savior but then she also has like there are parts within it where even she is like so like when when she has when she has to demonstrate or the, the very early scene when we first meet her she's like no trust me my dad's not racist he would have voted for Obama a third time yeah again she so even she as the white savior is still using those tried sort of clichés and sort of and like shortcuts yeah to say no they're not racist because of a y and c and then her dad says the same thing later on yeah and it's like it doesn't actually mean anything yeah like, and that's because and the, the, the argument again is there is that she'd be saying oh i'm not racist i dated a black guy yeah yeah you know and it's 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 these these immediate connections that you make especially as a white person you're like oh she's the okay one like yeah. everyone else is racist, but as long as she's okay, then everybody's safe. Yeah, and she even says that, like when she's having a big rant about how her family are all being weird. She goes, "How are they different from that cop?" Yeah, that's the bummer of it all. And she's and Chris is just sat there going, "Yep, told you." Yeah, he's not the one ranting and raving about it. She is, and like you say, she's fulfilling that white savior sort of role. Um, but then it turns, and she becomes evil Rose with. Her the fucking hairpin back and like you say she's dressed like a hunter yeah and she's just like oh just pure evil like the conversation she has on the phone with Rod is amazing and that that's the <laughs> thing it's, it's showing her as like this smart villainess yeah um but yeah and it's again it's the fuck like everything in this film it's, it's so difficult for, for to maintain a, a structured narrative for me to talk about this because I love it so much. And every time I think of one scene, I think, oh, that's great. And that was also great because this linked into it as well. When we're saying about skewing the perspective, the start of the film opens with Andre being lost in the suburbs. Mm -hmm. What you see is a car pull up, a guy in a mask. So he's wearing like a medieval helmet. Yeah. And attacks Andre and stuffs him in the back of the car. Throughout the rest of the film, up until a certain point, you're thinking, "What's that got to do? Who's this guy?" Yeah. So this is this is the guy that's going to come and get them. Yeah, yeah. So he's the guy that's going to come into this house in the countryside, that's surrounded by woods on all all sides. And then, how is everyone going to get out of this alive? And you're like, "Oh fuck!" And then it suddenly changes again, and then you see the, and then you really casually see the helmet in the back of yeah. The brother's car. Yeah, because I think there's there's a line. That's what it is. Like the, there's a line um, when so they had there's a big like exposition dump from the um, art dealer guy yeah. played by Stephen Groot. Uh, Stephen Groot, so not Groot Root. <laughs> it's, it's a good day for Groot people, right? Groot tree people. No, Groot. He's back. His dad's going to be looking after him again. We are Groot. Um, yeah, so he is explaining the whole thing, and he says to Chris, "Like, oh, believe me, you're one of the lucky ones, because 
Jeremy's methods of wrangling people are, seem far less pleasant. Yeah. So I feel like the idea is that both they're sending both the son and the daughter out into the world to find these different people. Yeah. And um, Jeremy's method is to literally just fucking assault them, bundle them into the back of the car, and that's the end of it. Whereas, or I don't know, there must be some sort of psychological element to it. But anyway, that the conclusion I drew from that, and then it's then confirmed by the um, mask in the back of the seat, is that was Jeremy at the beginning. And he's fucking great as well. He only really gets one scene to really act properly. Jeremy, I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. Um, and that's the dinner scene. Yeah, he... Fuck. Yeah, fuck that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Caleb Landry Jones. Caleb Landry Jones. I just checked it. Yeah. What? Um, he just makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> that's, that's good he though, right? <laughs> always plays a piece of shit. I don't know. What else? Have I, I, the only other thing I've seen him in it was um, X-Men First Class. Three billboards. Oh, shit, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he was the guy who rented the billboards to her, wasn't he? Yeah, I think so. He was the guy who ran it, and then didn't Sam Rockwell beat the shit into him? I think so. But, yeah, he always... He just makes me feel uncomfortable. He was in Twin Peaks again. Yeah, okay. Um, but anyway, he was, but he's good in that scene, though. <laughs> he's, really, he's really good. Like, say what you like about whether... Like, if he makes you feel uncomfortable, I feel most of the time... That's exactly what his character's meant to do. And yeah, this, and that, that's what is like perfect casting. Yeah, and just the when he's like stood by the door, just twirling a lacrosse stick. Yeah, like in a sinister fashion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're fucking working that cane, man. Like, you're a weird man. Um, <sighs> but again, you start to see, like you say, in that dinner scene, is is the you start to see I mean, people sort of questioning the genetic superiority. Yeah. Because he's literally having that conversation with Chris. Well, like, yeah, again, and it comes down to this, like, it's almost like a jealousy, isn't it? It's like, because yeah. he's looking him up and down thinking, fuck, what I could do if I was built like you, yeah. basically. Because he's an MMA fight, um, like, fan or whatever. He's into that whole thing. But he's a scrawny little white guy. Yeah. And he's looking at this guy and thinking, shit, what I could do if I had that, sort of, like, that body, essentially, is what he's thinking. And it's just a fucked up, yeah, it's so fucked up. It is fucked. Um... And Missy's sinister bitch, Catherine Keener, who's just been a jobbing actor for years, and seems and I like I like Catherine Keener's got to the stage now where she gets she's on the end of the cast list with an and in front of her name. Yeah, I don't know what you have to do to get to that, but oh, you have to be yeah, you have to be pretty fucking good. You've got to have a good agent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, because she, she for those of you who don't know, I think probably the most probably the most high profile thing she ever done was probably forty year old version. Uh, yeah, I think I guess. so. Um, but she's been in loads of shit. She's been in a shit ton of stuff. Uh, she was in Capote, being John Malkovich, the forty-year-old virgin, yeah. Get Out. Um, she's been in eighty-two actress roles. I remember Into the Wild was one that I remember particularly. She played Evelyn Diva in Incredibles Two. Right. Yeah. She's in Sicario Two. Oh shit! Yeah, she is as well. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Um. She's in Bad Grandpa. Mm. She's in quite a few indie things. Yeah. Begin Again, Captain Phillips, The Croods. That's, oh, that's a thing, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and that's like, yeah, I think her and um, the dad who was played by Bradley Whitford. 
Yeah. Um, and those, her and Bradley Whitford are both like these kind of like old school American, like they've been jobbing actors, doing theatre and movies and stuff for fucking years. Mm-hmm. And they're just old pros. Yeah. And so they're like, they anchor the whole thing. And then you've got these, this young new talent coming in. Yeah. That sort of that do their thing around them. Um, and yeah, Bradley Whitford's great. If anyone's ever seen, um, there's a, there was a show that Aaron Sorkin did called Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. Yeah. And it was Bradley Whitford and Matthew Perry as the writers on a basically an SNL type show. If you ever get a chance to catch that, it got cancelled after one season. It was it's a bit of a hidden gem. It's amazing. You should go out and watch it. Um, and the other thing I remember him from is um, Cabin, Cabin in, in the Woods. Woods. <laughs> Fuck, that's such a good film as well. Score. But also... Oh, come on. Talking about the casting again, by getting these two, like you say, working, long-term working actor and actress, and putting them in the parental role, puts you at ease. Yeah. Because you've seen them in a shit ton of things, and you're always like, oh, I recognise them. Yeah. They can't be bad. No, that's true, actually. I've never, this must be, the, in both of their cases, this must be the only time I've ever seen them play anything sinister. Yeah. Or like... As an antagonist, They're because always... they are quite warm people. Yeah, they're nice people, aren't they? yeah. or they always play nice people. Anyway, I don't know if they're nice in real life. They might be bastards. I don't know. Where's Hollywood? <laughs> These people are literally paid to read words that other people have written to make them them look good. But I'm not cynical about Hollywood. <laughs> but yeah. Anyway, <laughs> that's just. Oh shit! He's going to be in King of the Monsters. Whitford. Yeah. Sick. Um, I don't know what else there is to say to be fair. We've gone through all the cast, we talked about the plot, we talked about Yeah, I mean I think overall we're both very much in agreement this is a fucking spectacular film. It is, and I yeah, I think that's the reason we felt the need to do this is because we're both very excited about next week seeing us. Yeah. Um which we don't we you and I have both only seen one trailer. Yeah. Well, I've only seen one trailer. I yeah. saw the the very brief teaser, teaser, and then I saw the the latest one. Yeah. So we know very little about it. All we know, really, I guess, is that the, it, there's a black family. I don't. Again, I don't know if that everyone. I think will probably assume that it's going to have something to do with race, but I don't think it necessarily will. I don't um, know. I mean, I'm quite think, willing for Jordan Peele just to do whatever he wants, and I will watch and enjoy. I think it probably won't, but I feel like. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see because I think the expectation from people now is that he's going to make a movie yeah. and it's going to talk about race because that's the expectation. But I would, you know, I would prefer it in a lot of ways. If it didn't, it was just something about because I think basically the basic premise of us is that there's some sort of doppelganger thing going on where yeah. there's a family, a black family, and then they see versions of themselves come to life and they kind of like evil versions of themselves. That's it. That's kind of all we know. Something to do with scissors. Don't know. It's so, yeah, there's scissors involved. It's some sort of and like the 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 tagline is watch yourself and it's like there's a dark version of you and yeah. It's all about psychology and anyway. Seems really interesting, really cool, and I can't wait to go and see it next week and we'll talk about it next week. And it'll be interesting to see whether he subverts expectations now that there are... Because before there were no expectations when he came no. out with Get Out. He had nothing to live up to. And now it's from the director of Get Out. Yeah. And one of the one of the things that I saw about when I was sort of having a little bit of a read about this earlier in the week 
was the reason why Jordan Peele made us is because he said there was a confusion around the genre thinking of Get Out. Right. He was saying that he'd intended it to be made in one way and other people were like, oh, no, this is what it means. Which I presume is probably the white person equivalent of mansplaining. Um, Someone else telling him what his movie's about. Yeah. Fucking hell. (laughs) Exactly. And he was like, well, I'm not going to give anyone any sort of grey area on this next one. This is exactly what I'm going to make and this is what it's going to be. Okay. So apparently there's going to be no bones about it in this film what it's going to be. Excellent. But we don't know what it's going to be. (laughs) So is it a straight up horror is it psychological horror? Is it? Some I get. Sort well, of... that's another thing that they seem to be doing with the marketing. There's lots of like Rorschach. Yeah. Um, well, Rorschach tests. Yeah, but like ink blotting, sort yeah. of the idea being, and it's split in two. So it's like. But then non-symmetrical. Yeah. Or asymmetrical. Something creepy is going on. Oh, we'll see yeah. next week. <laughs> we'll find out next week what it's all about. But yeah. Um, but in the meantime, if you haven't seen Get Out, go watch Get Out. Um, and I would say. Although it's technically speaking a horror film, I guess you could call it. Yeah. It's a horror thriller sort of, yeah. Horror thriller, satire, socio-economic analysis. Not socio-economic, social analysis. The point being that I feel like even if you're, it's not the kind of sort of genre you would usually go for, it's still worth checking out because of of everything we've said, basically. Also, Um, a lot of people will make them question the way that, they have said and done things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As well, even if it makes you cringe a bit and be like, oh, fuck, I did that once. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's it's a fucking brilliant film. All in all, I don't think we've really missed out on anything. Oh, the cast is stellar. The soundtrack's great. The soundtrack's great. I think the visual style, I think the biggest sort of visual flair of it is the, the way he does the sunken place. Yeah. I um, mean, a lot of... Well, yeah, that's another thing I want to talk about is... The sort of direction and the cinematography as well is really bold, mm. and it's like it's got this really not not literally a Hitchcockian feel about it, yeah. but it has a lot of the recognizable sort of traits that you would see in a Hitchcock film, but in a Jordan Peele style. So I feel it's unfair to compare the two of them because it's they're very different sort of visual languages. Yeah, but I think moving forward. I think if us, as we've seen from the trailer, some of the shots that are used in it are continued in that way, then Jordan Peele is absolutely going to be a contender for like at the modern Hitchcock. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. I think there are a couple of times where it, when it overplays its hand. I think like there's one one particular scene that stands out to me was the conversation that Chris has with um, Walter, mm-hmm. and it's just it's over the top creepy, where he's just like. She's one of a kind, isn't she? Top of the line. And like he just starts... To, it's like he's turning his head and his eyes are popping out. It's like, we get it. It's creepy. Like yeah. It's a bit much. Like There's a couple of moments like that where he could have reined you back a little bit. Um, but it all pays off yeah. in the end. I mean, um, is that not leading into like the, the, the hard turn into the... I know it is, but it's still fucking... It, like, it, it breaks the realism of everything else. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, the, that, the reason that... Everything else, the other conversations he's having are so effective, like the conversation he has with Dean about, you know, I hate the way it looks, and that I would have voted for Obama. It feels quite natural. Yeah, like you, we're sitting there and going, "Shit, I've had that conversation." Whereas I don't think anyone <laughs> has ever 
had a conversation like the one Chris has with Walter. No. That has never fucking happened in his life. Like, like <laughs> she's quite lovely, isn't she? <laughs> no one's ever spoken like that to you. And if they did, you would fucking run a mile. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, that aside, like, um, it's yeah, it's a fucking amazing movie. Um, and I'm glad we've got the opportunity to talk about it. Yeah. Um, and I can't wait to go and see us next week. Neither can I. And um, Twilight Zone when it comes out as well. Yeah, we might have to start delving into some TV stuff. <laughs> yeah, that'd be fucking wicked. I'd love the Twilight Zone. I don't know how it's going to come out, whether it's going to be like a uh, Netflix-style dump or they're going to start, they'll put them out one at a time. I kind of hope they'll put them out one at a time. I think they are going to because it's CBS, isn't it? Yeah. So, I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, so we may do um, a grand, re- like a shorter batch of grand rewatches based on the Twilight Zone episodes, mm. um, because they've said they are going to be very much their own thing. But if yeah. there are, which there tends to be, like with the, the modern recreation in the eighties and nineties of the Twilight Zone, they did cover off some of the original ones as well as um, bringing in new ones as well. So hence the William Shatner version of this. Terror at thirty thousand feet. Yeah, I believe, I, and I believe they're remaking that with Seth Rogen. <laughs> oh dear, that would be wicked. Zombie on the plane. <laughs> it's on the wing. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, one thing that we should bring up is we're doing a giveaway. We are. Do you want to explain the giveaway? Yes. So when we went to see Captain Marvel, uh, the Odeon Cinemas in the UK, give out uh, promotional posters from time to time. Mm -hmm. uh, A4 posters. um, And they tend to be drawn by a chap called Matt Ferguson. We were lucky enough to be there on the day that he was there signing some. Mm. And so we have a copy. uh, Well, not a copy. We have a print of the Captain Marvel limited edition poster through Odeon that's been signed by Matt Ferguson. Yeah. And we have decided to give it to you, kind reader hmm. so what we're going to do is it's going to go on instagram it's going to go on twitter it's going to go on facebook yep uh you've probably seen it a million times before but it's just to help us market ourselves and maybe get something out of it so what we'll do is you can like the post when you see it come up share the post tag a couple of friends in it and depending on what you'd like to do on instagram if you can add it to your feed for the day um and tag us in that as well give us the hashtag OncastPod. Um, get that all together. We'll go through it later on and pick out a winner. Totally at random. Uh, no nepotism or cronyism in it, involved at all. Um, but yeah, and then it's going to be uh, out there for you guys. So it is limited edition. I don't know if it's happened in other countries as well. But no. again, like I say, we were lucky enough to get it yeah. signed by Mr. Ferguson. And it is a really nice print as well, isn't it? It's, it's like, gorgeous. It's, it's like embossed. Well, it's not. How is it done? But so it's got... <laughs> this is a... Pulling back the curtain on what I do for a living, it's got UV spot printing on there. Okay. So it's um, the actual part with Carol on there is glossy, whereas the rest of it is in a matte finish on the card. Yeah. Um, and yeah, if you, yeah, obviously we've got go go online, have a look at our Instagram, have a look at our Facebook and Twitter and all the rest of it, and you'll see exactly what it is we're we're talking about and what we're giving away. Um, and yeah, Matt Ferguson has been doing these posters, and they do pop up every time there's a Marvel movie. Like there's he puts out this stunning poster, yeah. Um, and I, as we're sat here now, I'm looking at the ones that he did for Infinity War, yeah. Um, so 
it's definitely a cool thing to have um to have a little signed bit of yeah. artwork from him um so yeah and well, this is probably not the first time that we're going to do this sort of going forward uh depending on how successful this is we might start doing some more sort of shares and giveaways and mm-hmm. some other things that are upcoming um but yeah let us know just uh like i said like the post follow us on facebook instagram and twitter uh share it on facebook and twitter and on instagram just tag at least two people in just to make it a little bit more uh if you want to tag in as many people as you want then by all means we'll take those as entries as well um and yeah and then we'll take it from there excellent all right thanks guys uh so yeah you can find us at the oncast pod at gmail.com yep. if you want to email us uh we're at the oncast on facebook twitter and instagram uh we're going to be back next week with us yep and keep an eye on the socials for the giveaway post excellent all right right well thanks again for listening guys and we'll speak to you next week cheers bye Is he playing the older <coughs> version of? Oh no, wait, that's got to be Charles Dance. I'm still, I'm still on that. What's that? I think Charles Dance is playing the older version of Tom Hiddleston's character from King Kong. Really? Yeah. Okay. Think about it. Okay. Young British man in the sixties, and then fast forward what? Fifty years. Yeah. Charles Dance, baby. Sixty. 60 years now from the 60s to 2000s is 40 plus another 10 yeah and we're 2019 plus another 10 to 2000 no 2010 or 2010s <laughs> so that's so it's 1963 yeah add 40 years 2003 yeah yeah that's 40 years plus another 10 Gets into like 2013-ish, which is when the first Godzilla movie came out in 2014. So I'm assuming this is going to be set like a year after it or whatever. Well, I'm, I'm presuming... And, it was, the, and hang on, it was the late 70s as well, because it was the end of the Vietnam War. Okay. And getting sent home. But listen, I'm... No, li- no, 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 Listen, <laughs> listen, I'm going off the shit math that you did. <laughs> no, fuck you. What are you talking about? No, plus 40, plus another 10, it's 50. It's 50 Why not years. just add 50? Because I why not look at the years? I automatically round up to the year two thousand. <laughs> That's what you do, and then you add to it. You were born like three weeks before the year two thousand. I wasn't. I wasn't. It was five. I wasn't. I can't count to five, and if you round that up, it's the year two thousand. I remember pogs. <laughs> no, you fucking dumb. Two. You fucking juvenile. I've got pogs at home. Oh, oh yeah, I've got pogs. No, you haven't. You got those shit Star Wars things that came in packets of quavers. Yeah. Fucking hey, faker. Let's look at you. You should be fucking ashamed of yourself. <laughs> hey, oh, How fucking oh. young you are. Fuck you. Wait I'm gonna spit. I'm gonna spit on you. I'm gonna spit on you from here. Wait and you're gonna fucking like it because that's what you young people get. <laughs> Fuck you. Fuck you for being young. Fuck you for being young. I'm fine. Jesus Christ. Okay. So you. So hang on. The conclusion we have to draw then is. Those Star Wars things were not pogs. No. What the fuck were they then? Because they had those little notches in the side, didn't they? Yeah, that's a pog. They were Tazos. No, pogs weren't. didn't have those in them. I have to go away and think about this. No. <laughs> no, we don't have to go away and think about this. You need to respect your elders. I think this is the closest I've come to being drunk on our podcast. Yeah. <laughs>